A happy Easter to everyone. God bless you. You know, even if you're not happy about anything else in your life, at least you can be happy about this one thing, that our God is alive. Amen. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive, who is a living God, a God who is real to us, that we pray to a God who hears and answers. We have a God who knows us, who is involved in our life, who cares about us. And you know, uh, this is probably one Sunday where around the world, all pulpits are probably preaching the same thing, that Jesus rose again from the dead. Amen. So this morning, I just want to take some time to talk about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to spend some time talking about what happened from the time Jesus died on the cross to the point when He ascended and sat down at the right hand of God on the highest throne in this universe. What happened from the cross all the way to the throne? And then I want to just talk a little bit about how infallible and how authentic and how valid the physical time and space bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is. That it is an indisputable fact. That it is a reality. That's something that we can have absolute confidence in without any shadow of doubts. And then I just want to kind of conclude this morning in showing and helping us come to a place where we understand what the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ can do for you and me today and, and the hope and the life and the joy and the, the meaning and the purpose this, all, this brings to us. What happened on the cross? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, He spoke to one of the thieves beside Him and He said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He told the thief who was dying with Him alongside Him. He said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And yet we know that when Jesus, before He actually went to the cross, in uh, Matthew the 12th chapter, verses 39 and 40, He said, You know, when, when people came and asked Him, saying, Give us a sign on who you are that will tell us who you are. He said, you know, there's, there's only one sign I'm going to give you. It's a sign of Jonah. That even as Jonah was in the belly of this big fish for three days and three nights, even so must I, the Son of Man, spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he already foretold where he was going when he died on the cross, that he was going to go down to the heart of the earth. And spend three days and three nights there. Now, you know, some of us, when we just try to do a calculation in our mind and say, you know, it really wasn't three days, three nights. But uh, Bible scholars explain it to us this way. They say, you know, in the Jewish understanding, part of a day meant the whole of the day. So when Jesus said three days, even though it was part of Friday and part of Sunday, they took it as three full days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And even though it was only part of the night on each day, it meant three nights for them. So in their understanding, in their language, when he said three days, three nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, resurrection on Sunday morning was perfectly all right. So he said, I was going to spend three days and three nights in the lower parts, in the heart of the earth. And in fact, when Peter preached his very first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he said in Acts 27, quoting from Psalm 16, he said, You will not allow my soul to be in hell. In Hades. And again he said in verse 31 of Acts 2. He said you will, his soul will not be left in Hades. Neither will his body see corruption. So what happened when Jesus died on the cross? He told the thief you will be with me in paradise today. But he also said he was going to spend three days and three nights. Which means the entire period of time from his death on the cross. Until he rose up Sunday morning. He was going to spend that time in the lower part of the earth. Peter explains it in Acts 2 saying, 
he went down to Hades, the lower part of the earth. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9, it says that now this he ascended. What does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So Jesus actually descended and went down to hell, or the Greek word for hell is Hades. He went down there. And what happened there? How could paradise be there? And what we understand from, a, from looking at the Bible, looking at scriptures was this, and especially in the, para, in the story that Jesus narrated in Luke, the 16th chapter about Abraham's bosom and the old paradise. Jesus, if you remember in Luke 16, said, talked about the rich man and the poor man Lazarus. He said, you know, when the poor man died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And when the rich man died, he went down to Hades. He went to hell where he was in great torments. Telling us that Hades, up until the resurrection of Christ, had two big compartments. One was called Abraham's bosom or the old paradise where the thief who died on the cross went down. And Jesus went down with him there to Abraham's bosom or paradise. The old paradise kept as part of Hades. And then there was this great gulf between Abraham's bosom and the old paradise and the torment compartment of Hades, which was very real. What we understand from the from this story of Luke 16 is that both the beggar and Lazarus were in their full conscious state when they were down there in Hades, in the lower parts of the earth. And this man in torment, he cried out across the gulf and the people out there in paradise could hear his voice. And he cried out and said, Oh Father Abraham, allow this beggar Lazarus just to dip his finger in some water and bring it to me and touch the tip of my tongue because of the intense pain and the suffering that he was experiencing down there in the torment compartment of Hades. And so the Bible says that Jesus descended into Hades. He went down into this old place of paradise, Abraham's bosom. But the thief also who died with him that day went down. He spent three days, three nights in the lower parts of the earth, the Bible tells us. And while he was there, the Bible also reveals in that he made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, those who had died prior to, uh, prior to that point in time, who were held in the ungodly, who were held in torment. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, it says, Christ suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. So he went down there and he made a proclamation. It doesn't tell us he preached the gospel, but he announced, he made an announcement. And we can just envision in our mind that down there he announced to this world of, of, of the spirit world of ungodly people declaring who he is and declaring what God had accomplished on the cross. He preached to those who were in prison. Three days, three nights, held down in Hades in the lower parts of the earth. And I can just imagine in my mind that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, when the time came for Jesus to be raised up from the dead, I can just imagine that Satan had all his demons on only one assignment, and that was to hold Jesus down there. He had recruited every demon and said, Come on, we have only one assignment. We need to prevent Jesus Christ from being raised from the dead. And I can imagine a focused, intense, all-out effort by all the powers of hell to hold Jesus down in Hades. And yet you and I know what happened. That on the third day, Easter Sunday morning, Jesus blew out every demonic power. And he came out as a champion. He came out as a risen Lord, our God whom we believe. Amen. Let's give God a hand of praise in this place. No hell, no death. All the powers of hell 
could not keep him down there in the grave. That Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, resurrection morning, Mary Magdalene and Salome, they made their way to the tomb where Jesus was buried. He had been buried in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of Joseph of, of Armathia. And as the Bible account tells us, they had, you know, spent at least about 100 pounds of spices to embalm the dead body of Jesus. And usually what happened when the, the body was embalmed, the, the, the cloth in which he was wrapped would become hard and it would become an encasing in which the body was contained. And they had embalmed his body, put it in the sepulcher in this tomb, and they had rolled a stone and sealed the tomb. The stone was not any ordinary thin slab, granite slab. It was a two, about two tons, which was moved in place by a battalion of Roman soldiers with their levers and all the mechanical equipment that they had of those days. And they had sealed the tomb, and beside the entrance of this sealed tomb was an entire battalion of soldiers who were assigned with only one purpose to stand guard by that tomb because it was reported that after three days he will rise up and they wanted to make sure that this would not happen they wanted to make sure that no disciple of Jesus would sneak in and take that body away and claim a resurrection and so you can imagine in your mind this entire battalion of soldiers standing guard watching intensely carefully and there Response and their assignment was very clear. Make sure nobody entered the tomb. So here comes Mary Magdalene and Salome making their way to this tomb, hoping that the soldiers would be kind enough to open up the tomb so that they could go in and do another embalming of the body of the dead body of Jesus Christ. And as they come to their tomb, Mark 16, and all the gospels record, to their amazement, they find that the stone has already been rolled away. And they find that there were no soldiers standing guard. And Mary walks in and, 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 and she sees the hardened shroud, the cloth in which he was, which by this time was hardened like a case, lying right there. And the cloth that was used to wrap his face lying folded beside it. And she is shocked and a little sad, wondering who could take the body away. And as she wonders and she sees somebody coming, approaching her, she thinks it's the a caretaker of the garden and she asks him do you know anyone if anybody has come in and taken this body can you tell me where they have laid this body and Jesus looks at her and calls her by her name and says Mary and she turns around and she realizes that this is not the gardener this is not the caretaker this is her Lord this is her risen Savior whom she is seeing with her own eyes and she cries out Rabboni my Lord and she's ready to go and embrace him and Jesus says, do not touch me. In John 20, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending. I mean, I'm in the, about in the, in the process of ascending to my father and your father to your my God and your God. Interestingly, that morning, Jesus tells Mary, don't touch me. That same resurrection evening, Jesus appears to the 11 of his disciples who are in the upper room. He appears and he shows himself alive to his disciples. Eight days later, because Thomas was not there that resurrection evening when Jesus appeared to his disciples, eight days later, Jesus walks in through the door where his 12 disciples are. He comes to Thomas, but this time to Thomas, he says, Thomas, put your finger in my hands. Put your finger in my side. You're allowed to touch me. So something transpired in those eight days. 
And I'm of the conviction and I believe that in those eight days with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place. He fulfilled what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. It says that Christ as a high priest of better things to come, he went into the greater and more perfect tabernacle, which is the temple in heaven. And he entered in with his own blood into the most holy place. He accomplished that, taking the blood into the most holy place. He came back and he said, now you can touch me. I finished what I had to do. And he showed himself alive to his disciples for 40 days. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 says that he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. And he showed himself alive for 40 days. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and he tells us that he was seen alive by 500 people. Not just by one or two or three witnesses. But 500 people saw him alive physically after his resurrection. And at the end of this period of 40 days, the Bible says that he ascended on high. Ephesians 4, 8 says that when he ascended on high, he took captivity captive with him. All of the Old Testament saints held down in paradise in Abraham's bosom up until the resurrection of Christ were now taken, liberated. And paradise was shifted from being in the lower parts of the earth into the third heavens. And so Paul could write in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, And I was caught up to the third heavens into the paradise of God, where I heard things that I, no man can utter. So Jesus took captivity captive and he ascended up on high, transferred the souls of dead of the Old Testament saints that were held in Abraham's bosom. And interestingly, the Bible says that the graves were opened up at that point in time. In Matthew 27, verse 50, 52 and 53, the Bible says that after, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So there was a bodily resurrection after Christ rose up. There were others. Old Testament saints were also raised up and they showed themselves alive in the city of Jerusalem. And they were caught up, ascended with the Lord. And the Bible says that today Jesus is seated on the highest throne. We serve this Jesus. Mark 16 verse 19 says that when the Lord had spoken, he was received up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Our Jesus is alive. He is seated on this throne, on the highest throne of this universe. And this is the Jesus whom we believe. This is the Jesus whom we love. This is the Jesus whom we worship. The Jesus who conquered all of hell and grave and death. And is seated at the right hand of God. And as he was ascending, the angels made this statement. As the disciples of Jesus saw Jesus being ascended, ascending into heaven, the angels in Acts 1 said this in Acts 1, 9 through 11. They said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up in, from you into heaven will so come in like manner. Because we believe in a resurrected, ascended, glorified Jesus, we also believe that he will return as king and as lord the bible says that today in first peter three twenty, that he has gone into heaven and is at the, set at the right hand of god angels and authorities and powers having made sub been made subject to him now i want us to understand that the resurrection of jesus christ is not just mere theology it's not a philosophy it's not just an idea but the resurrection of jesus christ is an indisputable fact his bodily resurrection is a reality. His presence and his working today is so real. Josh McDowell, and I want to talk a little bit about the validity of, of the resurrection. Josh McDowell is one of, one of many, many researchers who spent 
a lot of time researching, studying, and examining the biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and also researching the historical evidence, the authenticity of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. And he has made his, his research known uh, through his books. And I want to just share some of the facts, biblical accounts, which prove indisputably the reality of Christ's resurrection. Here are some of the facts that Josh McDowell presents. Fact one, that there was the broken Roman seal. None of Jesus' disciples would have dared to quietly sneak into the tomb and steal the body of Jesus Christ. None of them would have done it. Because when they had laid the body of Jesus in the tomb, they sealed it with a stone. And the Roman soldiers were standing right there to ensure the Roman seal. If anybody was caught breaking that seal, they would be burnt alive upside down with their own clothes. So there would be no way that these disciples, who just three days prior were running helter-skelter and hiding and didn't want to be associated with Jesus when he was being crucified. There would be no way that Peter, the very man who denied Jesus three times, there would be no way that these disciples will dare come in and break the Roman seal and try and steal the body of Jesus Christ. Fact number two was the authenticity of the empty tomb. The reality is the tomb is empty and the tomb was empty. The Roman soldiers acknowledged that the tomb was empty. The opposers of Jesus Christ, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees acknowledged that the tomb was empty. And the disciples of Jesus preached right there in the city of Jerusalem, that the tomb was empty. They didn't go out to a far distant place where nobody could come and check out the tomb if it was really empty. They didn't go some faraway place in Rome or somewhere and begin proclaiming that Jesus raised from the dead. Right in the city, they said, He's raised from the dead. You can go see the tomb. So it is, a, it is an unquestionable fact, historically, Proven by the very opposers of Jesus Christ that the tomb was empty. Number three, fact number three is this. That a large stone had been moved. That Sunday morning, it was a, a fact that a two-ton stone had been moved out of its place. Now it could not have been done by the Roman soldiers. They were there to make sure the stone stayed in its place. It could not have been done by the women. It was impossible for them. They didn't have the strength to move it. And neither the disciples themselves. It took an army of soldiers to move it in place. It was impossible for a small bunch of women or men to come together and move that stone from, from its place. And yet the fact remained that a large stone had been moved out of its place. Number four, that the Roman guards absconded. The, there was a severe punishment if the Roman guards failed in their duty to protect or failed in their assignment for that matter. So these soldiers were not sitting beside the tomb fast asleep and just saying, you know, we'll just wait for three days and then make it home. They were not there relaxed, taking a long extended vacation. Listen, their life depended on it. If they failed in their duty and they were caught, all of them would suffer capital punishment, no excuses. If they try to blame it on each other according to the law, a lot will be cast and on whomever the Lord fell, he would be killed. No examination needed. So their life was at stake when they were standing guard beside the tomb. And yet something happened that caused this battalion of soldiers to disappear. The biblical account tells us that 
in Matthew 28 verses 1 through 4, it says, here's what happens. It says that there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. This was the only way ever that they would refrain from carrying out their duty. An angel from God appeared, moved their stone away, left them like dead men, rendered them incapable of any kind of action. It was a supernatural work that caused this big stone to be moved away and prevented the soldiers from exercising their rightful duty that morning. So what happens? In Matthew 28, it says this, that these soldiers, some of them, they came into the city. They didn't go to the Roman bosses. They went straight to the chief priests, Matthew 28, 11, And they told them what had happened. Can you just picture this in your mind? These soldiers going to the chief priests and saying, Priests, we did our best. But this is what happened. An angel came and the angel struck us down like dead. The angel moved the stone away and the body disappeared. This is the fact coming from the mouth of these Roman soldiers. The chief priests had only one option. They either believed that or they did something to hide that story. And here's what it says. It says that they consulted together and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, just create this story that his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this reaches the governor's ears, we will take care of the matter. But you take the money and disappear. And that's exactly what the Roman soldiers did. The fact that they absconded, the fact that they didn't keep up their responsibility and they just disappeared after they received the money is something for us to understand that it was something purely supernatural that caused and brought about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Fact number five, Josh McCall says that the grave clothes tell a tale. When Mary Magdalene walked into the tomb, she saw the, the clothes in which the body of Jesus was embalmed right there as it is. She saw the face cloth wrapped and left right there. If somebody had stolen the body, it is only logical for us to think that they would have carried the body in the embalmed casing along with the face cloth. But the fact is, it was right there when she walked in. The casing was there. The face cloth was there. And so it could only mean that somehow he slipped out of it and came up alive. Fact number seven, fact number six is this, that Jesus' appear, Jesus' appearances were confirmed. Not by one or two or three witnesses, but there were 500 people whom Paul, writing 30 years later, said that some of these are still alive. And not only was his appearance confirmed by people who followed and believed him, but his bodily resurrection was confirmed even by hostile witnesses. Even by those who opposed him, they said, we saw him. The greatest of these is that of a man named Saul. He was one of the greatest opponents of this new movement of, that believed in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was one of the greatest opponents who went around killing those who claimed to believe in Jesus. And yet this man, one of the most vehement opponents of Jesus, he said, I saw him and I became a believer. This if nothing else, is one of the greatest evidences on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want us to be absolutely convinced in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ rose up from the dead. It takes more faith to believe that He did not than to look at these evidences and say, we indeed believe that He is alive. Amen. This is the Jesus we believe. So when He arose from the dead, what happens? 
The Bible tells us that he became the firstborn from the dead. The first one to be raised up from the dead eternally. Colossians 1.18 says that he was the firstborn from the dead. And so also Revelation 5, 1 and verse 5, Jesus said that he is a firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. And because he is the firstborn from the dead, because he, raised, he was raised from the dead, you and I are people who have the hope of resurrection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For since by man, one man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as that G, verse 20 says, But Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first one to be raised from the dead. And when we die, we die with this hope that we will follow. We too will be raised from the dead. For as in Adam all die, he said in Christ, all shall be made alive. And so he concludes this uh, is an exposition on, on, on death and resurrection. And he says, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, hell, Hades, where is your victory? Because we have a Lord who has been raised up from the dead. And in Him we know we will be made alive. I want all of us to understand that there is a real hell and there is a real heaven. There is a hell that we must avoid. There is a heaven that we must be prepared for. Our life on earth is very short. Very insignificant compared to an eternity that we are going to live, either in heaven or on hell. And the good news is this, that whoever dies believing in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, they have their hope of the resurrection from the dead and of eternal life with Him in heaven. When Jesus rose up from the dead, He said and He proclaimed that He had authority over all hell and death. In Revelation 1.18, He said, I am the one who lives who was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades, of hell, and of death. He says, I have authority over Hades. I went to Hades. It could not keep me. I'm alive. I have authority over hell and death. And he said that all authority belongs to him. In Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. If all authority belongs to Jesus, it means somebody has no authority. It's the devil. Amen. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to this risen Lord and this risen Savior. Ephesians 1, 20-22 says this, that he was raised from the dead and he was seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. All things have been placed under his feet. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says that we see him crowned with glory and honor. He has a name that is above every other name. When he was raised from the dead, when he arose, the Bible says he was highly exalted. And his name was declared to be the name which is above every other name. And that at his name every knee will bow of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is the Jesus whom we believe. And the Bible is so plain and so clear that there is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. It's only this name, the name of Jesus, in which a person can escape the penalty of sin. It's only in this name in which a person can escape the torment of hell. It's only in this name in which a person can come in and experience the amazing grace and love of God. It's only in this name that a person can come and receive forgiveness for their sins. There is no other name. But the good news is the Bible says anyone can call on this name. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone can call on this name. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if this is your first time in church. This morning, 
you can call on that name and be saved. And church, what an honor, amazing assignment you and I have. That we can go in the authority and in the power of the name of Jesus. Knowing that this is the name of the one who came down from heaven into this earth. Who lived a spotless, sinless life. Who was crucified as a lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. And this is the one who descended into the lower parts of the earth. And whom all hell tried to contain. And all death tried to contain. But this is the name of the one who rose up from the dead. Who ascended on high. And who seated at the right hand of God. All authority, all dominion being placed under his feet. This is the name of the one. This is the one whose name we carry. Amen. What an honorable name. What a powerful name. What a glorious name. And Jesus said, go in my name, cast out devils. In my name, heal the sick. In my name, work miracles. Why? Because all heaven, all earth, and all hell trembles at the one whom it represents, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give God a praise and honor in this place this morning. His name. And His name is as powerful today as it was back then. It has not lost any of its power. And this, I believe, is such a powerful evidence, proof of the risen Lord. That today, lives are changed when they call on that name. A dead man cannot change anybody's life, but a risen Lord does it. That today, when we pray in His name, prayers are answered. A dead man cannot answer anybody's prayer. But a risen king can answer every prayer that's prayed in his name. Devils will not fear the name of a dead man. But they will tremble the name of a risen Lord. This is proof that he is alive. Because of the power that we see in his name. Because he arose. The Bible says that his resurrection power is now made available to each one of us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 and 20. Paul says... I want you to know the greatness of God's power, which is available to those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. This power is the same power which God exerted, which was exerted when Jesus was raised up from the dead. This same resurrection power is available to everyone who believes. God is ready to perform a resurrection in your life and mine today and every day, whenever we need it. Amen. He is ready to demonstrate His resurrection power in your life, in my life, in any circumstance, in any sphere, in any dimension of life. He is ready because the Bible says, I want you to know how great God's power is towards those who believe in Jesus. It is the same power that He used when He raised Him from the, from the dead. This same power is being released into the life of everyone who believes in Jesus. Every day, you and I have access to this resurrection power. To work in our life. God's ready to exert that same resurrection power in your life this morning. So I want to ask us, is there a sealed tomb in your world today? Is there an area of your life that looks like the sealed tomb? Where you say, God, I really need the resurrection power of God to work in this area of my life. God's ready to release His resurrection power in your life. Is there a tomb in your life where all your hopes and dreams lie dead this morning? You've strived, you've worked hard. You've done what you know you should do. But today you seem like being locked up in the tomb. Sealed. A stone that seems impossible to be rolled away. Is there a tomb of sickness that threatens your life and, and has pronounced the end 
of your future? Is there a tomb that, that threatens to be the end of the road? Something that will never change. Maybe it was mistakes that you made, wrong decisions, wrong choices. Maybe you were lured by the attractions of this world. You began right, loving the Lord, experiencing His love. And suddenly along the way came these attractions which were fatal. Maybe suddenly along the way the lure of money or the lure of love on earth or the temporal pleasures or whatever it may be that drew you away from the Lord and eventually led you from one mistake to another to another till this morning you find yourself on a tomb and saying, you know, I'm at the end of the road. This is it. I've made such mistakes that nothing else can change. And maybe you're asking this morning, who will roll away the stone from the door of my tomb? And I've got good news for you. This same Jesus who rose up from the dead, he has the power, he has the authority over all the powers of hell. He alone is a champion who 2,000 years ago threw away every force of hell. And he stands at, as the singular champion, as the only one who can roll away the stone of your tomb this morning. The good news is this, that he's ready to step into your tomb and make it happen again. God is ready to unleash his resurrection power into the life of everyone who will believe. Whatever the tomb is. Today, you and I can experience the resurrection power of God afresh, working in our lives personally. Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus. Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you had only come three days earlier, our brother Lazarus would not be in this tomb. Some of us are sitting here this morning saying, Lord, you know, if you'd only stepped into my life three years earlier, maybe five years earlier, I would not find myself in this tomb that I'm in today. I want you to know nothing is too late for the Lord. There is no tomb that's too old that he can't open up and bring his resurrection life and power in. So do not despair this morning if you and I will have simple faith in the risen Jesus. His resurrection power will be made real in every tomb present in this place. The Bible tells us that you and I in Colossians 2.12 that you and I must have faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. We must have faith in what God can do. The God who raised Jesus from the dead. We must have faith in his working. Have faith that he will work in my tomb this morning. Have faith that he will work in your life this morning. Some of us might say, you know, all hell is broken loose on my life. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know how terrible it is. You don't know that it seems like every demon in hell has targeted me and me alone. It might seem like that. But I want to remind you about one person who faced all of hell and overcame it. Jesus Christ. He can step into your world. And even if literally all hell is broken loose on your world, he can reverse it because he's done it before. All hell can be reversed this morning. You and I will just look to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe you are the risen. I believe you are the Lord who raised, who was risen from the dead. And you can bring your resurrection power into my life this morning.